Good afternoon, and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Tip Allen. The program today is, well, it's for the question. It's the, for the layman, the Christian who believes but has questions. Especially one who doesn't have his reading glasses on and can't read a script right at the moment. <laughs> so, so the... Um, what we're going to do is have a very informal discussion here on the front porch. And my guest pastor today is my pastor, Pastor Wayne Lawrence from St. James in University City. Pastor, welcome to the program again. It's good to be back. Good to be back. I love having you here. And you know, now here's what's been on my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard sometimes when you're going through life. Now, you know that God is, has something for you, and you know it. Yeah. But you're not really aware of it at the time. And sometimes you have to stop and look back in perspective and see where there had been some, well, I guess, turning points in your life where, yeah. where life took you in a way that you did not expect. Yes, yes. And after a while, after a few years' perspective, you realize, gee, what happened? What, what was yeah. he? <laughs> now, I look at you specifically, Pastor. You were born in another country. right. You were raised Roman Catholic. Yeah. Now you're an American citizen. You're not only a Lutheran, but you're a Lutheran pastor. <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> exactly. And there had to have been something, you know, a series of, you look back in your life now and say, yeah. oh, that's why he, that's what he did. That's why he did that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, the, um, the Lutheran church that I first joined um, was a church I used to pass all the time because I lived in um, St. Albans, Queens, New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, to go to the high school that I went to, Andrew Jackson, there was this Lutheran church right on the corner of um, 204th Street and 116th Avenue. And I used to pass that church all the time to go to school and to go home from school. Never had it ever crossed my mind that one day I would join that church and even become the pastor of that church. Never well, crossed my mind. Well, what about coming to the United States? Was this something growing up in Jamaica you, you thought about or it just, just happened or what? Well, my mother came here first. Um, her the, the program at the time, you know, after talking with her later on in life, she was supposed to come here and uh, um, earn some money, send it home, like a lot of Jamaicans do, whether they go to um, England or come to America. Back in those days, they would come, work for a couple of years, send their money home, um, until they come up with enough money to either build or buy a home in Jamaica, then they would go back home. Uh, but as it turned out, she never came back home. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess there was a uh, family trouble that I was unaware of, you know, between she and my father, and uh, um, she never came back home. Also, there was some political upheaval in Jamaica. Yes. There, in, in fact, I would say that... Uh, um, when she didn't come back, uh, my father, my father's plan was to hold on to us 
um, out of spite. <laughs> and uh, in fact, uh, there was one of his friends told him back in those days that if you don't want your ex-wife to move the children out of the country without your knowledge, what you should do is take out passports on them and you keep the passports. Oh. So that way, if she tried to take out passports on them, a red flag will go up because the government is going to go, we already issued passports for these children. Where are the passports? And uh, then he would be contacted and then he would know that she's trying to do this. And, you know, interesting, um, she told me this story years later. She said she used to cry herself to sleep. And she said... Um, one night it came to her to read Isaiah 45. Well, I got to look this one up. Yeah. She said it came to her to read Isaiah 45. And she got up and she read Isaiah 45. And it's that text about um, the Lord using Cyrus, the Persian, to um, free the children of Israel from Babylon so that they could go back um, to, to the land of Israel. And she said, there's that part in it where it reads, I will open the two-leaf gate before him and no one can shut it. And she said to herself, what is, what is the Lord trying to tell me? Is he trying to tell me that he's going to open the way for my children to come to me? And she go, uh, the good Lord don't know my husband, my ex-husband. <laughs> And later on in life, she scratched her and I said, I think the good Lord was saying, your ex-husband doesn't know me. And so during, during the political upheaval in Jamaica, before it started, he knew it was going to start. Um, it started in 1975 and he knew it was going to start. So in 1974... He just gave us our passports and say, leave the country. Wow. He just, you know, we, we were shocked too. We were like, why is he giving us our passport? Why is he telling us now to leave the country? And it was after we came here, because um, we came here in May 16th, 1974. And then the political war started in 1975. And it dawned on us that that's why he let us go. He saw this coming and he didn't want us to be a part of it. And he put his children before himself, which yes. apparently he had not been doing before. Before, right. And there is the, I remember reading about the problems in Jamaica. I believe the prime minister is a fellow by the name of Manley. Yes, Michael Manley was the one that came to power in the early 70s. And um, he started what he called um, socialistic democracy and uh, you heard that before uh, yeah yeah right <laughs> sounds familiar right yeah it sure does <laughs> well when he's before he implemented his uh, program of socialistic democracy you know the first thing he did was he disarmed society ah he took away everybody's guns he started something called gun court Ooh. And he said um, to everybody, you have six months. You can walk into a police station, put down your firearms, no questions asked. And after six months, if we catch you with a firearm, you'll be indefinitely detained. Mm -hmm. So people were turning in their firearms in the left, right, and center. 
And then he announced, well, we're going to implement our program of socialistic democracy. And uh, my father is a capitalist. So <laughs> he go, okay, this is bad news. And so I think he um, gave us our passports then and say, get out of here. Well, I'm reading it. So there was actually violence with ar- with armed gangs, you know, rioting in the streets. Well, what happened was um, after he took, after the citizens become, you know, after you disarm society and um, you start to implement this, um, the elections, that's one of the things about socialism. Elections are no longer peaceful. They're violent. And... Uh, the only people with guns now were his people. Uh-huh. And um, he also was getting a lot of help from the Cubans, um, which, of course, was uh, upsetting to the, the Americans. You know, communism spreading from Cuba to Jamaica. And then uh, you know, they start sending their warships into the Caribbean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting ready to invade like they invaded Grenada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and at the time, true, you know, from what I've heard, a lot of Jamaicans were just hoping that they would invade, but um, they did not. And uh, he continued with his um, his socialistic democracy, his, I would like to call it tyranny, <laughs> um, for quite some time, for quite a number of years. Um, I have a half-brother in Jamaica at the time, not my mother's son, but my father's son, Mm -hmm. who became a police officer during those days. And he would explain to me that sometimes he remembered driving a police Land Rover back to the station with four bodies in the back of the Land Rover, and none of the bodies have heads on them. Oh, my God. So it obviously was a very... um, turmoil time, a time of just a lot of violence. Uh, so, yeah, that was, in fact, that was a, a milestone I look back at sometime. <laughs> I go, wait a second, you know, the Lord told her he was going to uh-huh. um, open the way for, his, for her children to come to her, and she didn't believe him. She said, he doesn't know my ex-husband, you know, <laughs> and it, then later on in life, she looked back at it and go... I think the Lord was saying, no, your ex-husband doesn't know me. Mm-hmm. If I want him to let them go, he will. And so May 16, 1974, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, about this time, my mother stood in Kennedy Airport, New York, and watched her six children oh come off of Air Jamaica and were walking towards her. Um, yeah, that was... A milestone. <laughs> well, you mentioned Isaiah 45. I happen to have a uh, my copy up here in the English Standard Version. I just want to read a little bit from it. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue the nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bar, uh, bronze. Cut through bars of iron, I will give you hidden treasures, which is stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, what a text. What a text. What a text. And this is one of the, thing, everything from, from family discord to political upheaval. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. And it got you out of that? And, and uh, she yeah, she, she just didn't believe it. She said, you mean you're going to open the way? You know, she, uh, that's the way she understood the text. He's saying he's going to open the way for her children to come and come to her. And she goes, oh, no, my ex-husband would never let that happen. Mm-hmm. And later on in life, after she saw the results, she go, I guess the good Lord must have been scratching his head and go, <laughs> uh, no, your ex-husband doesn't know me. If I say he's going to let them go, he's going to let them go. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. Wow. That, that is quite a story. Yeah. But from there, you, you you set foot in New York, and you were raised Catholic. Right. Were you still a Catholic at that point? Oh, yes. We're still Roman Catholic. Yeah. Very much Roman Catholic. Now, how did you become Lutheran? Uh, <laughs> how did how did he... he how, did he work, yeah. how did he work that out? You know... When you become like a teenager, I mean, I was very committed to Roman, to Catholicism. But during my teenage years, I really started to become disillusioned. You know, especially with certain dogma, you know, certain things like uh, like purgatory. Mm-hmm. You Which know. is not mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, you know, because um, I still remember as a child growing up, if I did something wrong, you know, my brothers and I, we would talk, and he wouldn't tell me I'm going to hell. He's just tell me, you're going to do a lot more years in purgatory for that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so during my teenage years, I, you know, became disillusioned a little bit uh, Catholicism. And uh, during my search, um, my goal was, wait a minute, why don't I just read the Bible, uh, a novel idea. Huh? You <laughs> yeah, right. So after I graduated from high school, I had this job in Manhattan, and I had a King James version of the Bible, and uh, I would read a couple chapters on my way to work, a couple chapters on my way home, and I would do that until I read the Bible from cover to cover. Ah, well, that wasn't enough, you know. The Bible sometimes is like a maze, you know? Oh, yes. You're going through a maze and you can't find your way. You can't figure out what is what. But my sister, my oldest sister, was getting married. And she didn't want to get married in the Catholic Church. So that same church I used to pass going to school and going home, that Lutheran church on the corner, my mother had started going there for a while. Um, of course, because she tried to become Catholic, but they wouldn't let her um, because they said she was a divorced woman and mm. she might remarry. And if she remarried, they will have to excommunicate her. So she started venturing into the Lutheran church and suggested to her daughter, well, maybe you should try getting married in that church. And uh, so she started talking with the minister there and... Uh, I, uh, you know, started to get curious about this church she was getting married in. So I spoke to the pastor at one point, and uh, uh, a Reverend Jack Crippen, still remember his name, nice guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was so jovial, you know, when I told him, well, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic. He says, that's okay. Catholics make good Lutherans. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, what he did 
was he gave me a copy of Luther's Catechism. Uh, the small catechism. The small catechism. Yeah. Um, and I said, oh, we Catholics have a catechism too. And he goes, okay, good, but here's Luther's. And so on my way to and from work, I would read Luther's catechism just to, out of curiosity. The rest is history. I realized, <laughs> wait a minute. So the Bible that I've been reading, and it looked like a maze to me, now all of a sudden it started to fall into place. Things started to make sense. I was learning now how to systematize it, what it's really talking about from reading Luther's Catechism. I just couldn't get enough of that. And and, and not too long after that, I, I did join. Uh-huh. And not too long after that, he left. And, uh, you know, for a while, you know, you started getting discouraged. But then another pastor came, um, uh, Pastor um, Vogel, Larry Vogel. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He, he became the pastor then. And uh, then he gave me Luther's large catechism. And then he took me up to Concordia, Bronxville, and uh, showed, showed me this book, the Book of Concord. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, well, that's the book that have everything in it that Lutherans believe. And I go, that book, the book of Concord, he said, yeah. So I bought a copy of it and uh, started reading the book of Concord. And I used to ask him a lot of questions back then, too. And after that, I went on to Peeper's Dogmatics. And, you know, then he started saying, well, if you're going to study that much, maybe you should just... Go to school and study. Yeah. I said, ah, that's 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 going to take eight years. I don't have eight years. And he says, well, eight years are going to come and pass whether you use it for that or not. huh? So may as well just use the eight years wisely. So, yeah, I used those eight years <laughs> wisely to, to, to study theology. And, you know, I'm seeing where... Uh I think I see where God had actually worked here was when the Catholic Church there turned your mother away. Yeah, yeah. And then your mother went to the Lutheran Church. Yes, yes. Do you see that the same way? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I see that. But also one of the things I, I tend to look back on is uh, the fact that when I walked into that Lutheran Church, it was liturgical just like the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. There was something there that I could go, wait a minute, this is not that different from my Catholic Church. You guys worship the same way. I could fit in in terms of the liturgy. Now, it was just a matter of getting close enough to realize that it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, the Catholic Church believed that salvation is by grace plus works. And then you realize, no, the Lutherans believe that salvation is by grace alone. And you go, well, can they defend their position? And sure enough, the catechism defended that position. <laughs> and the Book of Concord defended that position very well. You know, what? one of the beauty about um, reading the Book of Concord was uh, when they are explaining the Catholic position, they explain it very very well. I mean, they stand it up very well to the point where I could look at it and go, yeah, 
that's true. That's Catholicism. So why don't you Lutherans believe it? <laughs> and then he gets to the part now where he is knocking it down. And he's showing you what's wrong with it. And you go, oh, I didn't see that before. <laughs> you know? Which, by the way, is what some of your professors at seminary will do. They will give you a book, uh, a textbook, maybe written by a Calvinist. And you read it and you go, okay, okay, this, this makes sense. And then your professor will just stand before you and literally dismantle that book. And you realize, whoa, I didn't see it that way. Well, what is he doing? He's teaching you to think theologically. Almost like you get an epiphany. Yes. He will, he's teaching you to think theologically and go, don't just, you know, not because somebody can quote a bunch of scripture passages and line them up. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, um, he's using those passages correctly, you know, um, and so they would, you know, really teach you to think theologically, which was uh, helpful in, in many ways. But you're right. I think that was a milestone definitely for me to cross over from Catholicism to, to Lutheranism and to realize the difference. And it's all because, uh, yeah, you're right. My mother joined that church. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she was discouraged for a while, too, and was going to walk away. Because, you know, they would, sometimes you'd have one pass to leave and another one come, and people tend to disappear during the, yeah, that yeah. interim. Yeah, the Catholics tend uh, to keep uh, them in one place. Yeah. yeah, well, this one pastor wrote her a letter. And the letter he wrote her, it's like there's a, he's, in the letter, he's telling her that he's trying to type a letter to her. But one of the keys on his typewriter isn't working. And every time he gets to that key, it just doesn't work. And he, whatever letter it was, he would leave it out. And she had to figure out that, oh, he's trying to tell me that I'm this missing key on his typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, well, I'm going to go back. (laughs) And she certainly went back and, uh, you know, encouraged her daughter to to get married there, and that drew me to it um, because you know she, when when my sister visited, one of the things she did she came home with the bulletin with the scriptures on the back of it. Oh yeah, and I remember. Wait a minute, in the Catholic Church, well, they did read um, the scriptures, but you never had a copy of it um, before you. I thought this was interesting that. This church not only read the scriptures, but everybody has got a copy of it on on their bulletin or the insert to the bulletin. That was interesting. Um, so you're, you're you're right. You see certain things at work. Mm-hmm. You know, the Holy Spirit is working in your life, and sometimes it's later on that you look back and you go, "Wait a minute, I can <laughs> see this." <laughs> I think it's most often you have to look back. I mean, you yes. don't realize no, it at you, the time. You don't see it at the time. You don't see it at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one time too when I was in middle school, and uh, I, again, it was during the time when there's so much upheaval in the family. And, uh, you know, children sometimes get discouraged when there's all this upheaval at home. And uh, I was getting discouraged and wanted to walk away from school. Oops. And uh, so I would not uh, 
take punishment from a teacher, refused it. And so they tell me, you have to leave. Don't come back without your parents. So I went home to my aunt and she said, well, go get your father and go back. Now, he painted a picture for them that it wasn't true, but was helpful. He sat down, we sat down in the principal office with more than one teacher. And uh, he said, he gave them this picture that he is this single father that is trying to get a good education for his children. I've never seen teachers become so angry with a student. To them, it was like, if your father is trying, we're not going to let you walk away from school. We're not going to let you walk away. We're not going to let you fail him. Or we are not going to fail him. And they got angry. And uh, they wouldn't let me leave. And I couldn't understand what would what made them so angry. And it's later on, I started to reflect on it and realize they weren't angry because I wasn't the smartest kid in the class. They were angry because they saw me as being ungrateful. Mm. That was what got them angry. You know, there's a saying in Jamaica. um, (laughs) I'll say it in Jamaican and interpret it for you. (laughs) The saying is, Ungrateful picnic, popo little. And the meaning of that is if you are ungrateful, you'll become very destitute in life. Uh. They're basically saying to you that your success in life goes hand in hand with being thankful. And I didn't see it at the time, but they were saying to me, if you drop out of school now, you're showing yourself to be ungrateful, and you will become destitute. This is one of the messages I think that you deliver every Sunday, is that as Christians, we are to be grateful for what has happened. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, this, the proper response, you know, that is why, you know, I look, you're right, I look back at that many times, and I go, yes, you know, we preach a message of sin and grace, because when a person walk away from church feeling forgiven, it moves them to respond with gratitude. It moved them to respond because part of what we do in church is, you know, you know the now this is something coming out of Catholicism, but can, but it can be helpful. Okay. In the Roman Catholic Church, they call the sacrament of the altar the Eucharist. You know, the Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And it's not until I got to um, Bronxville or seminary that that made sense to me. That Eucharist comes from the Greek word Eucharisteia, which means what? To give thanks. Ah, It means to give thanks. The Lord is giving us his body and blood to eat and to drink. And the proper response is to say thank you. But we don't just say thank you with our lips. We say it with our whole life. And, you know, my teachers in the Catholic school then, I think that's what they were driving home. When they wouldn't let me drop out, 
They were so angry because they saw me as being ungrateful. And that's what will get teachers in Jamaica angry. Don't, you, you don't have to be the smartest child in the class. Just don't be ungrateful for whatever you're getting. If you're getting an education, be thankful. Whatever is being done for you, be thankful. And a lot of times I look back at that in my life and I go, that made a difference because they were driving that point home. Don't be ungrateful. And, you know, you, you realize that everything in your life, if you believe it, that God is the one who gives you everything, everything comes from him. That means if I have a wife, the Lord blessed me with this wife, then I should be thankful. And, of course, if you're thankful, it's going to affect the way you treat your wife, right? That's true. You have children. That means the Lord blessed you with children. Well, if you are thankful that he blessed you with children, it's going to affect the way you, you raise your children. And it will affect the children. And it will affect yeah. the children, too. Yeah. So you realize that there's a part of um, Christianity that is about responding with gratitude. You know, our good works are not... We don't do good works to earn anything. We know that good works don't earn anything. Mm -hmm. Everything was earned for us on the cross. So then the, the, the question becomes, why do good works? Out of gratitude. Love that. we got to take a break right here, but boy, I think we're really on to something, and we're going to continue it right after these messages. On the next Joy, some exuberant music for Christmas and Advent. Some very early, some rather recent. From the dancing Baroque of Michael Praetorius to the bold and brassy side of John Rutter, we have an hour that will lift your spirit. This is Ron Clam. Tune us in this week for Joy. Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. 
A fragment may be just a small piece, but in the case of the Wyman fragment from the third century, a highly significant piece. It's a glimpse of the New Testament. On one side of the fragment is Romans 4:23 through 5:3. On the other side of the fragment is Romans 5:8 through 13, including Romans 5:1, a key verse in Christian theology. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is thought to be the second oldest New Testament fragment on vellum. And in recent years, the fragment has received considerable attention by scholars. Impressive for a fragment originally discovered in a drawer in an antiquities shop. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Guest pastor today is Pastor Wayne Lawrence, and we are talking about how when you look back on your life, you can actually see where God has intervened in your life and guided you in a certain way. You may not be aware of it at the time, but you do later on. If you've had that experience or you want to talk about it, well, give us a call. If you're in the St. Louis area, that number is area code 314 Eight two one zero eight fifty, or if you're somewhere in the lower fifty, lower fifty, right, lower forty eight, you can call us toll free at one eight hundred seven three zero twenty seven twenty seven. Again, for St. Louis, at three one four nine nine six. Oops, that's a con. Yeah, boy, this is not my day. I got to tell you, it's been a long week. Again, for St. Louis, three one four eight two one zero eight fifty. At lower forty eight, it's one eight hundred seven three zero twenty seven twenty seven. So we had these areas. Now, we were talking about now how you had become a Lutheran. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are Lutheran who don't become ministers. I mean, you're looking at one. <laughs> but you did. Yes. And it was because, well, as we we're saying, you had this hunger to know more to about know it. The, yes, to know the truth. Because, you know, in Catholicism, you know, you, you're never quite sure of you know, your salvation. Really? You know, you're, you're always in doubt, you know, because uh, it's, uh, it's about salvation not only by grace, but also by, by works. Even though they had confession and absolution, even if you went to private confession and receive absolution, there was always penance that you still had to do. You know, um, okay, now the Lord did his part. You have to do your part. Mm -hmm. And so penance was always a part of the whole process. Um, and so good Catholics would have their rosary so that um, your father said to you, um, well, you know, you're going to do so many Hail Marys, um, so many Our Fathers. You have your beads ready and you go into the nave of the church and you um, you do your penance. Um but uh, if uh, if salvation is not only by grace, but also by works, um, how do you know whether you have done enough? Um, and then, of course, the hope that is held out to you is that, well, if you're not very, if you're not so, if you're not totally bad, you won't go to hell, but uh, at least you'll go to purgatory. And uh, um, if enough mass is done for you, then you'll eventually make it into heaven. So again, you know, growing up, my brothers and I, we would say, you know, oh man, that was a terrible thing you did. 
that's about uh, 10 or f- sometimes we push up the number. You're going to do 50 more years in purgatory for that. Mm. So, you know, it's, it, you know, your salvation was always in limbo. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, once I got close enough to Lutheranism to realize the comfort of the gospel, that no, salvation is by grace alone. And the proper response, again, you know, is, is, grat- is to be right. thankful. You know, you realize God already did it all. And so, you know, why am I doing good works? Just to thank him. Um, that made... For with a Catholic, you're actually doing good work for yourself. Exactly. You're doing good works to earn something. Whereas in Lutheranism, no, it's more about doing doing good works to be grateful like my teachers in school were were pretty much saying don't be ungrateful mm-hmm. um so yeah that comfort that um that you realize um that you come to see in in um in luther's catechism in the bible in the the the, the teachings of the lutheran church it, uh, it 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 does something to you if you're coming out of catholicism and i i look back to where um Pastor Crippen said it to me when he jovially just said, oh, well, welcome. You know, Catholics make good Lutherans. And I go, what is he talking about? You know? <laughs> now you know. <laughs> and then I found out that you're moving from uncertainty to certainty. Yeah. Catholics make good Lutherans in that sense. So our salvation is never in question. Exactly. So, you know, these people that God place. Pastor Crippen at the time, then Pastor Vogel later on, um, were people that the Holy Spirit is using to work in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't realize, you know, you know, when I, when I study Genesis and I uh, was studying about Abraham and how God trained Abraham in his faith. And then after a long time, the Lord is now going to show Abraham just how far he has brought him. Now, here comes the milestone, Abraham. You know, I've been training you all these years to trust me. Now, here's the test. You know, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him. And then Abraham realized how far the Lord had brought him in that training process. But why did the Lord bring him that far so that the Lord could show him his plan of salvation? When he went to sacrifice Isaac, what happened? The Lord stopped him and provided the substitute, showing him his plan of salvation. So he had trained him all along, and here comes the milestone. And I think that, you know, that was significant for for Abraham and for the church. Oh, certainly. But I think each each of us, um, we have our milestone where the Lord, we look back and we see the Lord at work in our lives. Well, I look back, um, you know, my, my family's been Lutheran since, literally since the 16th century. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we've got a, my mother's family, they've got a, actually got a family tree where we can trace it way, way, way back. And as I say, they've been, some of the earlier followers of Luther, um, 
And there have been many, many pastors in my family. My grandfather was a pastor. My great-grandfather was a pastor. My great-great-grandfather was a pastor, on and on. Uh, and when I was a young man, a, a teenager, I seriously considered it. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I somehow it just didn't feel right for me. I mean, I didn't feel that, what, that call, that burn, that warmth. Yeah. yeah. And looking back on it now... I'm seeing the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you have to follow a different path. Yes. You will serve God in yes. a different way. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, and that's important. That's why we don't call, um, you know, the area of life that we, that we work in, we call it our vocation, you mm-hmm. know, our calling, you know. Um, my wife is a, is a very good nurse, <laughs> you know, but did she have her trying times when she was trying to become a nurse? It was trying sometimes. You know, I'll tell you this, that, that happened to us when we were in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, these government paid for, um, college, they, they pay for your college, they pay your college tuition. And, uh, she was trying to get into the nursing program at, um, at the community college. And she had taken all the prerequisites to get into the nursing program. Mm -hmm. And then they said to her, well, right now the nursing program is full. Um, So you just have to take some other courses while you wait to get in. Take these remedial courses here and there. And she would do that. Then the next semester they would say, well, yeah, the nursing program is still full. And then the next semester, it is still full. Oh, man. And after about two years or more like that, I go, no, something is wrong. It can't still be full. And we started to do our investigation, and we said, well, why don't we just borrow the money and uh, apply to this private nursing school? We did that. And you know what we found out? Hmm. That the students who were in the private school paying out of pocket were the ones jumping the line and filling up the nursing program. Ouch. They wow. were the ones getting in, and the ones who the government was paying for were just kept at the door. They were kept at the door so that the school would make the money Mm. The school would collect the government money for them, but they would not actually get into the program. Man, I hope somebody went to jail for that scam. <laughs> and so we realized you had to, you had to pay out a pocket to, to mm. actually get in. That was a trying time. Um, but that wasn't even the worst of it. After she finally graduated from nursing school... Um, she was working in this hospital in, in Queens Boulevard, and she was new. And the other nurses, of course, the old the nurses that would that had more experience, didn't want to train this new nurse. Mm-hmm. So naturally, she's gonna make a mistake and you know get get let go. And at that point, she's saying, "Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Mm. Maybe I should do something else." And that's when husbands step in and say, no, 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 no. We're not going to go this far just for you to quit. 
<laughs> so she went and tried another hospital. And the very thing that they didn't want to show her was how to do the IV, put an IV in someone. Mm -hmm. She became the best at doing it. In the other hospital, if anybody had trouble putting in an IV, they would go, just call Jackie. She'll put it in. Well, you know, I learned um, when I was in college, uh, the courses that I had the most that were the most difficult for me mm-hmm. were the ones that I invariably had the best grades. <laughs> because yes. I had to study and work hard. Yes. Yes. You know, one of them, some of the times I, I panic in college was um, I remember um, sitting in a Greek course. Mm. And the professor said, well, okay, tomorrow we will study the auditory subjunctive. And I started to panic. I'm going, I don't even know what that is in English. <laughs> and this professor want me to know what this is in Greek by tomorrow. So you're right. You know, the mm-hmm. courses that you struggle with. And I always got A's in Greek. In Greek and Hebrew, I got straight A's. Because those were the courses that scared me the most. Yeah. And that you find yourself working overtime just to make sure you get it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one. I remember my first uh, my first uh, quarter in grad school. Uh, we were had had if had I known how hard it was going to be, I'm not sure I'd have done it. I'll, I'll <laughs> say that right up front. But I remember sitting in a course and the professor was talking about how we're going to have to do this kind of research and that and that. I'm thinking to myself, I haven't the faintest idea <laughs> how to do any of this. <laughs> and then it was almost like I heard a voice saying to me, that's why you're here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. Yeah. And I knew at that particular point that I was going to make it through the course. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that was, again, the, the thing where... Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. I mean, you look back, you know, and yeah. after you have come that, after you have achieved that milestone, I've mm-hmm. been brought to that milestone, I'd, I'd prefer to say, no. <laughs> and you look back, you go, man, the Lord really... I've, I have come this far by his grace. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just me alone, but I, you know, I've come this far by, by his grace. And yeah, you see the grace of, of God in your life. You see him at work in your life, yeah. um, from time to time, um, as he, you know, and this um, is, train you to trust him. Well, this, in my particular case, you know, this is at a point where I, I was losing my faith. Mm. And, it's only in retrospect that I look back and say, well, I may have lost my faith, but he didn't lose his in me. Right. And this was how he was directing me to go into what I eventually wound up doing and yeah. bringing me right here, spreading the gospel on the air. Right. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> what a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege. Mm. But again, I look here, you know, maybe this is... This is not what I thought was going to happen in my life. I, I no. promise you it was not. <laughs> no, if, if, if anybody told me that I would, in fact, my mother, you know, I was uh, this um, unruly teenager. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, you need to know this little tidbit. Okay. When she had difficulty with me as a teenager, it was that same Lutheran church 
that she was going to, she went and complained to her pastor about this son of hers that um, is unruly. And uh, he said to her, well, Mrs. Lawrence, let's just kneel here in my office. They knelt down on the floor and said, let's pray for him. And they knelt down in that office praying for me. When I became a pastor and I became the pastor of that church, hmm. I remember my mother walked into my office and showed me the spot where she and that other pastor knelt down praying for me. And she said, um, but I was not praying for you to become a pastor. I was just praying that you would just behave your wretched self. <laughs> and she go, you know, sometimes when the Lord answers prayer, he goes above and beyond what you're asking oh, yeah. for. You know, because she said, say, just let him behave himself and not be so unruly. Mm -hmm. And here it is. He goes, well, I've done more than that. I have made him one of my servants. <laughs> I mean, we are all servants of the Lord anyway. Yeah. Whatever vocation we are in, we are still his servants, you know? Yeah, that was something Luther made very clear was the yeah. concept of vocation. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing uh, where I can see where God is negatively directing me by not letting you go down a particular path. Yes. Um, when I was in high school and later in college, uh, what I thought I was going to do was make a career of the military. Mm. And uh, I was in the ROTC program. Uh, I had been studying Russian in both high school and college. My, What I was planning on doing was once I got a commission, I was going to try to do something like maybe go into counterintelligence or intelligence work where I could ah. try to figure out what the uh, big bad Russians were doing. <laughs> okay. And then here's what happened. At the end of my sophomore year... <clears throat> In the ROTC program in college, you have to go down to, uh, in, this, in this area, you have to go down to Fort Leonard Wood, mm -hmm. take the physical, and before you can go up to the senior courts. I went down, took the physical, I failed it. Turned out I had high blood pressure. Whoa. I went back to my school, and they took my, I had to measure my blood pressure twice a day for a week. Uh -huh. Blood pressure was still up too high. I had to go back down to Leonard Wood, do it all over again. Yeah. And finally, they uh, said, sorry, son, we can't use you in the Army. So this had two effects. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> One was that, you know, I realized suddenly my plan was completely gone, completely negated. I had no idea what I was going to do with my future at this point because this was not what I had planned. Yeah. What I had planned was gone. As I've said before, you want to hear God laugh, tell him what you planned. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and the other was, given the, the time frame on this, this was in 1968, at the very height of the Vietnam War. Yeah. And had I been commissioned, I would have had to spend at least a year. In Vietnam. In Vietnam. And uh, who knows what would have happened well, there. Right. Right. And, you know, I've, I've had friends over there who didn't come back or came back only partially one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. And who knows? Who knows? But again, this was something where God said, no, this is not what I have your plan for you. Right. You're going to do something else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What is the Lord training us and preparing us mm -hmm. to do? What is he? Yeah. And that's, you know, when you look back, then you see what what he did, you know? Um, 
you know, you look back and you realize he wanted he wanted me to realize that life has to do with living the Christian life has to do with not trying to earn your salvation, mm -hmm. but being thankful for your salvation. And even though I was in the Roman Catholic Church, that's what he was teaching me. Even though Catholicism wants you to believe that salvation is by grace plus works. Mm -hmm. But just the way those teachers reacted, and later on you look at life and you go, yeah, life is really about being thankful for the grace of God, not trying to live your life to earn salvation, but being thankful um, for what God has blessed you with. You're right, if somebody told me I was going to be a pastor of a church, I would tell you, no. Especially a Lutheran a church. A Lutheran church, I tell you, no, that's, that, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I more I more thought about being uh, a teacher. Hmm. You know, maybe I should study to become a teacher. And I did enjoy computer work for a while and thought, could I do this? But uh, that was not what uh, the Lord wanted me to do. Um, it was studying his word. It was proclaiming his word um, in all its truth and purity and administering the sacraments rightly. And, uh, you know, I was sitting down with a thriving rep a couple of years ago talking about retirement, mm -hmm. retirement plans. And he said to me, well, at what age would you like to retire and I go retire from what he goes retire from working I go I don't work <laughs> he go you know I said well you know I work but it doesn't feel like work you know I put in a lot of time into it oh, yeah. but because I love what I'm doing it doesn't feel like work you know you can put in 60 hours, 70 hours, doesn't matter. It just doesn't feel like work because you love it so much. And you go, well, no, I, I don't think, um, I don't know when I would retire, you know. Mm. Um, at some point, um, if the body is saying you can't do this anymore, then yeah. I guess then I would know. But if my health holds up, I don't see myself saying, well, I'm going to quit at 65 or, you know, I, I don't yeah. see myself setting a timetable. Well, I was discussing that actually it was a setting a very self-same uh, topic with my wife yesterday mm -hmm. about, gee, what, when are we going to retire? Yeah. And basically the answer was the same thing. As long as we're physically capable, I'm, she's retired, yeah. <laughs> but as long as I'm physically capable of doing what I'm doing and, you know, like you, I like this. Right. Right, so getting up—it's a getting up every day, coming here and 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 doing this—is yeah, yeah. Why, I like what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. why would I? Why quit? would I stop? Why would I stop? <laughs> yeah, what would I do if I stop? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Look at how many pastors, after they so-called retire, mm -hmm. they're still they're still doing pastoral work. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my pastor from California, for example, he, yeah. you know, he retired. He's down in Texas. Guess what? He's still preaching the word. Yes. In fact, the, the pastor that was covering the the vacancy not too far from us, um, Grace Pagedale, uh, Pastor Del Crockett, he's way up there in age. He supposedly retired, mm -hmm. but because he is serving 
that church, he may he just became the pastor there, even though he's at retirement age. Well, what is he going to go home and do? He's going to just continue to serve the Lord. You know, <laughs> you know so when they said, you know, at what age would you want to retire? I go, well, <laughs> retire from what? <laughs> well, again, it's just from we get to this point in our lives and we look back in retrospect and we can see what we couldn't see then. Yes. Where he has directed us or deterred us from a certain action yes or steered us into another yes and it's both frightening and humbling at the same time it yes it it is humbling it is humbling because you go if i had you know one of the things uh, my mother used to say is um she uh, she said when she was a little girl she never liked that line in the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy will be done. Because she said, that means God is going to do it his way rather than my way. And <laughs> Guess then, what? And then when she grew up, she go, wait a minute. I want him to do it his way, not my way. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're going to draw a close here to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Pastor Lawrence, thanks so much for being oh, on the program. And we're going to be doing it again. Take care. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.